0: listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. And now, here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri.
1: ETCE Pharmacy Connect listeners, we are back for another podcast. This is exciting to talk with our experts, our my favorite providers, our pharmacists, leading treatment and digging into Uh, the complexities of treatment, the changes in in treatment, the forward thinkers. And it's exciting to have another pharmacist on with us today. It's going to go over specifically focused on clinical safety and efficacy data supporting the use of new and emerging JAK inhibitors in the management of atopic dermatitis. Practical Counseling Points for Pharmacists to Provide Individualized Care and Proper Selection of Therapy to Patients with Atopic Dermatitis, who are initiating therapy with JAK inhibitors. We're also going to be uh, really expanding upon our faculty experts' insights, and we have our star today, Lana, Dr. Lana Gershenstein with us. Uh, welcome, Lana. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
1: Excited to have you here. We'd also like to thank Dr. Sarah Lent for her contribution in developing the content for this podcast. And we really want to kind of dig into the jack inhibitors as a treatment and really set the stage. But before we do that, we want to really understand a little bit about your background. So not to put you on the spot, we want to listen and, and hear and learn a little bit about your uh, phar- becoming a pharmacist and pharmacist experience, and in getting ready for today's podcast.
2: Yeah, sure. Gosh, um, I don't know if we have enough time for for all those years. Um, But I uh, going way back, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a pharmacist, had a a job in high school um, in a pharmacy, a little independent store. And I loved um, the fact that patients really relied on their pharmacists for information. And they were the first kind of healthcare providers that they came to and felt comfortable coming to um, to have discussions with. So fast forward many, many years later, um, I Knew initially I wanted to be um, in an inpatient setting, was uh, an inpatient pharmacist over acute care for uh, several years, and then transitioned over to ambulatory care um, in various areas. Um, I think uh, that that made me the happiest in talking to patients and being t- able to be part of the healthcare team, provide insights and inputs into uh, treatments, and then be able to communicate and educate with patients. Uh, to patients about those treatments and kind of from an ambulatory standpoint, um, have an ongoing relationship with them and and know what's happening as part of their therapy and and their disease state. So about a year ago, um, I started here at University of Chicago Medical Center and started in the dermatology clinic and um, have been working with the team since.
1: Well, thank you for being here. We're excited to dig into the JAK inhibitor subject and review the background of atopic dermatitis and express key safety and efficacy data and new emerging JAK inhibitors utilized for the treatment of atopic dermatitis. I also want to recognize the role of our pharmacists, my favorite providers in individualizing treatment for patients with atopic dermatitis through patient counseling and education, which I believe uh, is always delivering the best care. And also is with education comes lessening of costs by assuring that our patients stay adherent on medications and that it's the right of medication. So, We're going to really start to dig into this. And I want to kind of open this up to you, uh, Lana. And that is, so from my understanding, atopic dermatitis can be such a bothersome skin condition that affects patients of all ages. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to provide some background on specifically what atopic dermatitis is?
2: Of course. So atopic dermatitis, it's also known as, as atopic eczema. Uh, it's a chronic inflammatory skin disease with the clinical presentation of pruritic, eczematous lesions and dry skin. And unfortunately, it is a relapsing disorder. You're right. Um, it can affect all ages, but typically starts in childhood in majority of cases. And AD has a prevalence that's been reported as up to 25% of children in the U.S. With the most common onset at three to six months of age and females being affected more than males. Uh, There are common um, comorbidities in patients diagnosed with atopic dermatitis, and those include asthma, allergic rhinitis, and food allergies. And We call that the atopic triad, asthma plus allergies plus atopic dermatitis. Uh, There are several um, uh, contributors to the uh, pathogenesis of AD, genetic, immunologic, and environmental. So for example, the filigreen gene plays an important role in the skin's barrier function and any mutation of that gene can cause epidermal. Barrier dysfunction. And that can lead to dryness as well as an inability to keep external substances out. Um, a positive family history of atopy has been uh, identified as a significant risk factor. So a three or five fold um, increased risk for developing AD when one, one both parents are affected um, respectively. And then of course, exposure to environmental triggers can cause itching and further skin barrier dysfunction. So things like soaps, detergents, unfortunately, things we sometimes can't control like climate or airborne allergens. Uh, And then Ultimately, um, immune dysregulation and inflammation play a role. So, as we mentioned, epidural barrier dysfunction through a series of steps can elicit our T helper cell response, which plays an important role in immunity and, and producing cytokines uh, like uh, interleukin 4 and 13 that promote inflammation, um, irritate tissue, and increase IgE synthesis. Um, and atopic dermatitis has the highest disease burden among the skin diseases. Quality of life can be severely affected um, from all the scratching, poor sleep quality. It can really affect mental uh, mental health and um, impair social functioning. And it's challenging because it can be difficult or not feasible to avoid triggers. So. Out-of-pocket costs can be significant, kind of to your point uh, earlier about education and cost-effective treatments. And then another role we can play in is is polypharmacy. So using multiple, let's say, topical agents that can be confusing and burdensome to the patient. So overall, uh, a lot uh, to kind of soak in.
1: I think of the doctor Googlers out there that pharmacists, um, you know, will, will hear from their patients of, of how they deal with um, chronic conditions. And in this case, atopic dermatitis and how um, this can be hereditary in in many cases and, and how you may have your mother or your grandmother giving you advice that when the pharmacist ends up hearing that advice, they're like, whoa. You know, yeah. don't, don't do that. It may, you know, cause it to become worse. And pharmacist guidance, that's so important. And sometimes skin disorders aren't aren't thought of in the same category as, as other, you know, diseases and conditions. And, you know, it, it clearly seems from your description that there's this high burden associated with um, association with atopic dermatitis, especially when not properly diagnosed or treated or mistreated, like I just said, because uh, family advice. So how are people diagnosed with atopic dermatitis and and how is the the severity of, of the atopic dermatitis determined?
2: Sure. So diagnosis is based on clinical presentation and exclusion of other condi- dermatologic conditions. So, uh, puritis and eczema must be present, and there's certain age specific patterns that are seen. Um, and then we see a, a, typically a chronic relapsing history, as I, as I mentioned previously. We see, uh, again, typically early age of onset is the most common, um, the family history uh, of atopy dry skin, and of course, again, excluding other conditions such as scabies or contact dermatitis or um, uh, psoriasis. Uh, Assessing disease severity or efficacy of treatment. So There are many uh, scoring tools. However, typically those scores that have been validated are used more commonly in clinical research uh, versus clinical uh, practice, but I'll discuss two. The easy scale, which is the eczema area and severity index, and that is a seven-point scale, and that includes assessing the body surface area involvement of various body regions, so the head, upper and lower limbs. Trunk and then the extent of the given area involvement and the intensity or severity of the dermatitis, Uh, erythema, um, thickening of the skin, for example. And then there's the IGA, the investigator global assessment, and that is a five point scale, which assesses the appearance of the lesions at a given point in time. So, zero would be no inflammatory signs of atopic dermatitis, and four would be widespread disease with significant erythema. And sometimes even crusting of the skin may be present as well.
1: You've really laid out a, a great um, start to this and understanding what's happening um, with eczema and the other conditions. And But we want to have a better idea of the clinical presentation of atopic dermatitis and the associated burden of the condition. What are some of the goals of the treatment therapy?
2: Sure. Uh, the Ultimately, the goals are to reduce and control those symptoms such as skin inflammation and and pruritus. We want to stabilize the patient and prevent exacerbations. And ultimately, the goal is to improve their quality of life.
1: Okay, so in order to meet the treatment goals, uh, the healthcare professionals, they need to be able to select the best treatment option for their patient. And I know there are many form- formulations of treatment of atopic dermatitis. So what is the approach to choose the most appropriate therapy?
2: Yeah, so once we've assessed severity, we can discuss with patients the options and the difference in current available treatments for basic management. So management. this would be management regardless of severity or there isn't an acute exacerbation of the condition happening, we use non-pharmacologic care for all patients. So that includes the use of moisturizers frequently to increase hydration and and fight dry skin and water loss. And studies have actually shown that moisturizer can decrease the amount of prescription anti-inflammatory treatments that are required to uh, control the disease. Of course, these moisturizers should be free of additives like fragrances, perfumes, other potentially sensitizing agents. It's also generally recommended to do um, one once a day warm uh, water baths, again, with non-soap fragrance-free cleansers and, and moisturizing directly after. And we definitely want to um, avoid anything that uh, triggers the eczema. Uh, so for um, example, perfumey soaps, um, some of the sensitizing agents I mentioned before, perfumes, fragrance, fragrance soaps, When we start to use pharmacologic agents, we're doing this from a step uh, approach based on severity of disease. So for mild to moderate classification, we're still using what I mentioned, the basic management, um, but we're adding topical agents. So there are several pharmacologic classes to choose. Um, we have the most long term experience and efficacy data with topical corticosteroids. Uh, they come in various levels of potency that allows us to choose accordingly based on severity and location. So, for example, using only low dose or low potency rather corticosteroids on the face. There is the class of agents also known as calcineurin urine inhibitors, so topical tacrolimus or pymocrolimus, uh, uh, and those are steroid sparing if clinically there's a reason not to use the corticosteroids. Um, there's also an agent called chrysoborol, which is also steroid, uh, steroid sparing, but data is not as clear for the prevention of exacerbations. Um, and Then finally, uh, the JAK inhibitor, uh, ruxolitinib. Um, so ultimately, the goal is to use the lowest potency that achieves control of flaring and to involve the patient in choosing based on previous tolerability or cost as some factors to consider. Uh, For moderate to severe, we do the basic plus the topical, plus now we are choosing again, um, again, after discussion with patient, um, the choice of systemic therapies at this point. So briefly, there's phototherapy. Uh, There are Various protocols and things to consider, um, as things like whether a patient has access to a facility that does phototherapy, whether it's covered by insurance, patient's ability to get scheduled therapy, um, and then pharmacologically we have systemic immunosuppressants, so methotrexate, cyclosporin, mycophenolate, azathioprine, and oral corticosteroids. And um, oral corticosteroids are actually the only category of this group that are FDA approved for atopic dermatitis. Uh, the long-term use of oral corticosteroids is not feasible uh, due to their potentially significant adverse effects and and just in general the all the agents that i mentioned due to their side effect profile so uh, for example renal issues with psychosporin or bone marrow suppression with methotrexate for example um, the use of these agents long term is not recommended so patients are started on these agents because they're refractory to the previously mentioned medications um, and the goal is to gain control of their symptoms and then dose them at the lowest possible to maintain efficacy. Um, And then once there is control of the uh, AD, the goal is to titrate the agent down and, and discontinue if possible. And then we have the, what are called the monoclonal antibodies, so dupilumab and tri- trilokinumab, uh, which are um, self-administered uh, subcutaneous injections. And those uh, uh, inhibit uh, various interleukins, interleukin-4 for uh, dupilumab and interleukin-13 for uh, trilokinumab because we know those increased levels of, of those interleukins uh, as we discussed before, play a role in atopic dermatitis. Um, these are dosed every other week. They come in, in pre filled uh, devices that are relatively simple to learn how to use for self administration. And they're also a much more feasible option for long term use from a safety standpoint, from what we know so far. Um, the con is that it's an injection. And so, for patients that don't want to self inject, um, that might not be the best option. Um, we also have to monitor for ophthalmic side effects such as pruritus, dry eye, and and conjunctivitis while patients are on this medication. And so ultimately, now we have the oral JAK inhibitors, uh, apatacitinib and abracitinib, which we'll, of course, get into. Um, And then briefly, I mentioned, I think acute exacerbations and and treatment of flares typically involves use of of the higher potency topical corticosteroids or uh, even oral corticosteroids.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the JAK inhibitors because these are newer um, approved FDA Mm -hmm. um, uh, medications for uh, atopic dermatitis. Can you tell us more about the, um, the JAK inhibitors?
2: Sure. So um, the Janus kinases, they're a a group of intracellular proteins, JAK1, 2, 3, and TYK2, and they're activated uh, by binding cytokines via the JAK stat signaling pathway. Um, And I tell you this just so you know, kind of how these medications work. Um, so, the pathway, the Jak stat pathway, is important for signaling um, regulation of cytokine synthesis, T cell differentiation, B cell maturation, and IgE um, antibody production. So, this activation and upregulation in inflammatory mediators such as interleukins 4, 13, and 30, uh, 31, T helper cell activation, and IgE and histamine release. Are relevant as they play an important role in the pathophysiology of atopic dermatitis. So, for example, these um, interleukins are contributors to atopic uh, or AD associated pruritus. So the JAK inhibitors. Um, are a class of small what we call small molecule targeted disease modifying medications Um, they some of them have been commercially available for treatment of other inflammatory immune diseases such as uh, rheumatoid arthritis so uh, tofacitinib baracitinib and uh, patacitinib but in mid-january we saw the approval mid-january of this year we saw the approval of two jak one inhibitors for the treatment of moderate to severe atopic dermatitis and that's um Patacitinib and abracitinib. So they're the first oral jack inhibitors for atopic dermatitis in the US. And the thought is that they're potentially meeting a need for those that need systemic treatment, but as I previously mentioned, maybe don't want to use um, injectables or uh, can't use some of the other oral agents because of their side, of, side effect profile. Um, Just to name a few. So, there are currently three FDA uh, approved JAK inhibitors two oral, JAK1, and one topical. That's a JAK1 and 2 inhibitor. And I mentioned that the difference between the two in selectivity just because when we think about side effects, JAK1 is involved with inflammation, while JAK2 is also responsible for signal pathways that are involved in um, things like erythropoiesis and thrombopoiesis. And that's important when we think about the mechanism for potential side effects.
1: All right, so let's talk data because that's always mm-hmm. that's always what it comes back to. So let's let's unpack the data behind the approval of these agents.
2: Sure. So we can start with the topical agent, Ruxolitinib cream, which was approved in September of 2021. And that FDA approval is for short-term and, and non-continuous co- chronic treatment of mild to moderate atopic dermatitis in non-immunocompromised patients uh, 12 years of age or older. This agent was studied in two phase three randomized double-blind placebo-controlled studies called True ad one and 2, and uh, that those trials. Include over 1,200 patients that were 12 years or older, and there were two strengths of uh, ruxolitinib that were studied: the 0.75 and 1, 1.5%, versus topical placebo. And their primary endpoint was to see an IGA score of clear or zero or almost clear one um, at week eight. And both strengths met the efficacy endpoint at, at a higher percentage of patients versus placebo excuse me, with statistical significance and also showed a statistically significant itch reduction with the 1.5% group. So Subsequently, uh, ruxolitinib cream got approval for the 1.5% cream. Um, It's applied twice daily, and um, uh, it's recommended to discontinue when symptoms resolve and to reassess therapy if there's no resolution within eight weeks. And then the JAK1 selective inhibitors, the oral agents, uh, ap- uh, apatacitinib and abracitinib. Um, I'll start with apatacitinib. Um, they were both approved, like I said, in January 2022. um is approved for adults and pediatric patients 12 years of age and older with refractory moderate to severe atopic dermatitis whose disease is not adequately, adequately controlled with other systemic drug products, including biologics or um, like I mentioned, when use of those other therapies are not um, feasible. Um, There are several double-blind placebo-controlled trials um, in patients with moderate to severe AD that were uh, 12 or older. The measure one up and measure up to a trial was um, a trial comparing 15 milligrams, 30 milligrams, to pl- and 30 milligrams to placebo. And this was done for 16 weeks. And the primary endpoints were the proportion of patients receiving at least a 75% improvement in Easy 75 and the proportion of patients who had achieved an IgA response of, again, um, clear, which is zero or one, almost clear. We- week week 16. And the apatocitinib met statistical significant uh, difference in both co-primary efficacy endpoints compared with placebo. Um, And the discontinuation due to adverse events was similar between groups. Uh, There was also the ADAP uh, trial, again, randomized double-blind placebo-controlled times 16 weeks. Endpoints were proportion of patients who had achieved at least a 75% reduction in easy score um, and a zero or one on um, the IgA. And again, the proportion of patients who had achieved um, easy um, 75 was significantly higher in the uh, uh, hepatocitinib group versus placebo and same with the IgA. A response at 16 weeks, um, so both higher in in the patisiran group versus placebo, and then the last one I'll talk about for that drug because it it it, uh, it was a head-to-head comparator, which was 30 milligrams versus uh, dupilumab every other week for 24 weeks. Um, the primary endpoint. Um, uh, was achievement of 75% improvement in the easy at week 16. So more patients in receiving the apatacitinib than receiving dupilumab met the primary endpoint with statistical significance. Um, with abrocitinib, same um, same approval in January of 2022, and uh, this one is actually approved currently in adults uh, for moderate uh, to severe atopic dermatitis. And this is again based on results of multiple randomized placebo-controlled trials. Um, these uh, trials had primary endpoints again of an IGA of zero or one clear or almost clear, respectively, and then the easy reduction of 75% or more at week 12. Um, the JADE mono one and two compared 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams to placebo in adult patients. And then uh, both doses showed statistically significant difference versus placebo in meeting those uh, both those primary endpoints. Uh, the Jade Compare, which allowed uh, topical, studied both strengths versus placebo, but also had an active comparator group uh, with dupilumab. Uh, they did see a difference with placebo, but no statistically significant difference in comparison to the primary uh, endpoints with dupilumab at week 16. Um, and then Jade Teen is a phase three study of brositinib in combination with topical therapy, um, looking at at the disease in adolescents with moderate to severe um, disease. And sig- significantly more adolescents were treated who were treated with have compared with placebo achieved the IGA and easy endpoint. Compared to placebo at week 12. So, currently, as as mentioned, approval is for adults, but likely that the manufacturer will seek approval in adolescents as well. And then there's an agent baricitinib, which is a JAK 1 2 inhibitor that is pending FDA approval. Um, There are several phase 3 randomized placebo controlled trials in adult patients with moderate to severe AD, BREEZE, AD 125 um, and 7, and they uh, Um, compared various doses of baricitinib uh, versus placebo. 85 looked at one or two milligrams versus placebo. And 87, um, two two and four milligrams with a topical corticosteroid uh, versus placebo with a topical corticosteroid. And I'll summarize breed Uh, Breeze 87 showed a statistically significant difference with the 4-milligram dose versus placebo, um, and Breeze 85 looked at easy greater than 75% at week 16, and the 2-milligram dose met a statistically significant difference versus placebo in meeting that endpoint. So um, I think the company is, is working with the FDA to see where that's headed in terms of approval.
1: Lana, we all know we're in the pharmacy industry, pharmacy profession, that the number one job of our pharmacists is to keep our people, our citizens, our patients safe. So mm-hmm. let's talk about safety considerations. Can you please review the safety considerations for Jack inhibitors?
2: Of course, so for the oral agents, um, the currently FDA-approved hepatocitinib and abracitinib, monitoring for hematologic toxicity is important. Um, It is recommended to monitor complete blood cell counts at baseline and periodically thereafter. These agents can put patients at an increased risk of infection, so we want to make sure they're tested to rule out latent infections such as tuberculosis or hepatitis infections. And it's also encouraged to be up to date on vaccinations, um, except, of course, we do let our patients know not to receive any live vaccinations while on therapy. These agents um, can also cause lipid abnormalities, so we want to get a baseline lipid panel and assess as needed while they're on therapy. And um, there is a black, what we call a black box warning for serious infections, mortality, mal- malignancy, major adverse uh, cardiovascular events and thrombosis. Uh, it sounds a little bit scary, and and uh, this is a black box warning that stemmed from the results of a safe, safety clinical trial involve, involving uh tof- tofacitinib, um, which is a JAK inhibitor used to treat other inflammatory conditions, specifically RA and UC. Um, and with that conclusion, it was then uh, it led to a black box warning for all JAK inhibitors that are used to treat inflammatory conditions. Um, and some other key uh, key things to consider, we don't want to use these agents during pregnancy or breastfeeding at this time. There's just not enough information. And um, some more minor side effects that were reported in patients were nausea, nasopharyngitis, and um, acne. So we We as pharmacists, we just want to work with the prescribing team to make sure appropriate baseline labs are in place, like CBC and the comprehensive metabolic panel, just to check baseline liver and renal function, cholesterol screening, and of course, screening for latent TB infection and and hepatitis, and of course, pregnancy status.
1: Where are these being actually used in practice, though? Um can you, so again, for- I
2: think these these are going to be an option for patients with moderate to severe disease that do not want to use an injectable. Um, we have a lot of patients that have anxiety over that and are averse to doing self injections, um, and they want the convenience of an oral medication, and they don't may not tolerate the other agents that I, I mentioned previously. So I think that that's currently. Um, where we see these agents being used, and, and it'll likely evolve over time as we continue to use them.
1: Physician, the primary physician, the dermatologist, the specialist, uh, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden the treatment's kicked off and it comes to the pharmacist. What role do the pharmacists play in managing patients with atopic dermatitis?
2: So many roles. Uh, <laughs> um, so access, education, um, assessment of the necessary lab work, um, and necessary uh, immunization, um, looking at um, adverse event preventions and monitoring the treatment over time, adherence you mentioned earlier is very important. Um, I think ultimately it's important for us to be involved in shared decision-making with the patient and the provider care team um, around Uh, being aware of the treatment plan in order to effectively communicate and outline goals for our patients. They're getting a lot of information and um, you really have to listen to them, listen to their concerns. Are they worried about self-injection? Are they worried about cost or side effects that will preclude, preclude them from taking the medication? It's one thing to prescribe it. It's another thing for for the patient to take it and, and see if it works. Um, and I think the biggest initial pota- potential challenge is access to medication. So, depending on insurance and formularies, I think being able to assist in navigating that process and access to these medications is extremely important. So, assisting with things like prior authorization, appeals, uh, patient assistance program applications um, really, the first step is to make sure patients have access and can continue to have access once they start therapy if it's working for them. And then, once they have their therapy plan, education on things like injection training, how to apply the topicals, potential side effects, and management of those side effects should they occur, um, explaining also kind of the goals of therapy and that they may not get a response right away so that they don't get discouraged um, and so that they have a timeline of of knowing um, when they should typically see a response. And then, of course, ongoing monitoring after, uh, you know, for the duration of their therapy.
1: You said education and education to our patients so that they don't use other products that could irritate um, their condition is so important. Mm -hmm. And the counseling points that pharmacists need to be discussing with their patients receiving uh, JAK inhibitors uh, for their atopic dermatitis is so important. So things like makeup, fragrances, different things. Can you kind of talk to us about the counseling points uh, that pharmacists should be aware of?
2: Sure. Definitely all the things that you just mentioned, we add to what the providers or the prescribers have already outlined for them and reinforcing that. I think explaining the importance of also lab monitoring before they start therapy and during, so keeping up with their appointments to make sure we're assessing efficacy, we're assessing uh, safety, Um, screening for uh, things like drug-drug interactions, so making sure they're they update us on any change in their medications, um, as there are recommendations for ju- dose adjustments depending on the potential um, drug interactions for these agents. Explaining how to screen for signs of infection and blood clots, and what they should do if those um, if they develop those signs and symptoms. So really augmenting what's already happening as part of the care plan, and I think patients sometimes have an easier time discussing certain things with us. And again, just uh, helping them to voice their concerns and, and uh, walking them through that
1: dr Gergenstein this has been an absolute honor to have you on with us in expanding and talking about atopic dermatitis helping pharmacists learn from pharmacists it's the best and I'm privileged to to have these discussions and and we always want to ask um, our final question so what would you say is the single most important takeaway for a pharmacist listening in today
2: yeah, so um, you know, atopic dermatitis, as we talked about, it's it's chronic, it's relapsing condition. It's there's multi-layered uh, passive physiology that's going on, and we've been somewhat limited in our treatment options for uh, efficacious and safe treatment of moderate to severe AD specifically. But the good news is, and I think the takeaway is that there have been advancements in understanding the pathways that lead to the development of atopic dermatitis, and treatment modalities are evolving to target those pathways pathways. We now have new agents that target of the JAK-STAT pathway, like we talked about, which we know is involved in the inflammatory process behind AD. And I think ultimately as pharmacists, we can and should be involved in, in, the, in assisting patients in choosing the right therapy for them.
1: Thank you so much for your insights. This has been a wonderful conversation. I do want to give a shout out to our pharmacists out there that have an interest in skincare, I mean, this is an expanding field. It's being led by pharmacists that are digging down into the treatment, just just like you, Lana. So thank you so much for today's conversation. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to PharmacyTimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c sweetradiocom